0: you please join me as I pray. Gracious God and Father, we come to these moments and just ask that you would speak. Thank you that you are a speaking God, that your word is trustworthy. It tells us in the Psalms that it's As if it's been refined by fire seven times, that your word stands the test of time, that it is true and good. And we come now to these words spoken by you, Jesus, preserved by the Holy Spirit for our good. And I'm asking right now that you would empower us to be courageous listeners, thoughtful listeners willing to dig deep and pay attention to what it is you're saying because it comes with a warning as we finish this sermon together. I pray, God, that where we have been constructing lives with faulty material, where we have been cherishing things underneath everything else, the, the things that we have valued and trusted and cherished that cannot support the weight of our lives, I pray today that your words would illumine that and you would call us to something wiser and better because the day of testing is coming. So God, we're asking for your help. I pray that ours would be a community marked by men and women who have laid a strong foundation in you, and I pray that you would use this morning to contribute to that end. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever ask the question in class, will this be on the test? Ever ask that one? I've seen many a teacher's eyes roll. Uh, over the years, whether it was me asking or one of my friends in the midst of a lecture and a moment of going, well, will this be on the test? Meaning, should I care about this or not? You know, Um, and you can tell how many teachers over the years are like, come on. Um, And, you know, interestingly, I figured I would grow out of that at some point, but all the way into when I was in grad school, I remember sitting in a class and some well-meaning person raising their hands and asking the professor, you know, is this going to be on the test? And I I had one professor that just heading off these questions uh, said, so this is the deal. Everything you're going to read, everything you're going to hear, everything that's going to be referenced is fair game for any and all exams. It's kind of like, okay, got it. It can all be on the test. And it seems like life is that way that as we've grown and matured, whatever the most recent intense exam, you know, it's almost like we become more and more responsible. Friends of mine that have prepared for the bar exam where it's like, the test lasts days and people, you know, strain muscles and they they come out different than they went in because what is expected of them, what they are preparing for requires so much. And this reality that when the test comes... You know, everybody walks into the test the same way. They got their sharpened number two pencils and they're prepared and they've done everything. But they oftentimes walk out really differently because the test reveals what was or was not happening in the hundreds of hours and the quiet places before that moment. The test reveals things. It reveals things that previously were unseen, that when the testing comes, all of a sudden there's no more hiding and pretending because whatever was happening in the secret places is now known. And in part, as Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we have been studying together as a family for months, he's coming to a conclusion this week, to his great sermon. The great, wise instructor and teacher comes to the end. And in a sense, what he is saying is, and by the way, this will be on the test. There is a test coming And how you have responded to this material and the ways that the truth that I've spoken over you has either found purchase in your soul or it hasn't will be drawn out in the moment of testing. It's coming. But the difference between this test and step one or the bar or your final exam, the difference is it's not on your calendar. You didn't write it in for Thursday at noon when this trusted loved one is going to tell me this really devastating news you didn't write it in when all of your energy and efforts geared towards this particular career aim disintegrate in your hands or when the spouse tells you the really hard truth about what it's actually been like to be married to you and you go I thought it was all this way and now it's all that way and the testing and the shaking has come and now the question and the moment of the test gets revealed finally What has or has not been going on in the secret places is revealed in the time of testing. And so as Jesus comes to the conclusion and tells his listeners this is in fact going to be on the test, he is once again helping them see that there's a diverging path. If you were with us last week, you heard that as he's rounding the corner on his conclusion... He is making it very clear in that there are two paths. There are two gates. There are two prophets. There's two types of fruit and two types of trees. And he's coming to this final moment and saying, not only are all those things true, but there are two types of foundations. And those foundations are going to be revealed by the great test. And so this morning, the invitation from Jesus, authoritatively, uncomfortably so, the invitation as he finishes his great sermon is going to be to secure your foundation because the test is most certainly coming. And in order to make sense of that together, we're going to explore what are the nat- what's the nature of these foundations and what's the nature of the test in hopes that we can receive this authoritative warn- warning from Jesus for what it is. So, what does it look like to secure your foundation? What are the nature of these two types of foundations? The first that we read about in these verses is the wise Rock foundation in verses 24 and 25. Look back with me. Let's see this in the words of Jesus together. It says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The first foundation that Jesus is exploring is a good one one that stands the test, and it is the rock that has been the formation, the the foundation of this house that has been constructed. One little phrase that doesn't make it into Matthew's telling, but does into Luke's. So you, you get this sermon. We get a hint that Jesus preached these same themes probably many times in many different places, We know he at least preached it twice because we get it in the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. We get it in the book of Luke as the Sermon on the Plain. They're different locations at a different time in Jesus' ministry, but very similar themes. And he makes a similar statement about the wise man building on the rock in Luke, but he includes a little phrase in in that sermon. He says this, the wise man or woman has to dig deep in order to lay a foundation on the rock. And what, what we realize is this, that as Jesus is painting the picture of these two foundations, the first one that is wise requires intentionality, effort, preparation, sweat on the front end. He's going, this is going to require that you dig deep to find what is actually trustworthy, and you lay a foundation in that place. One of the delineations consistently between wisdom and folly in the scriptures, if you were to study the wisdom literature and ask what's the difference... One of the primary distinctions is that wisdom always takes the end game in mind. Folly thinks about this week or this quarter, what needs to happen right now to make everything okay. Wisdom asks, what's this going to mean a decade from now or a millennia from now? And what Jesus is asking is, in the construction of your life, the shape that your life is taking, the relationships you're investing in, the career that you're building, the way that you spend your time and your money, the way that you pursue God or you don't, what does it look like for that to dig deep and lay a foundation that will stand the test of time a decade or a millennia from now? Are you reading the Bible Engaging in worship, connecting to house church, are you, are you doing these activities for the purpose of repenting and trusting and obeying Jesus? Meaning, actually coming to him and saying, I am anticipating that if I encounter a living God that's speaking, that it's going to require things to change for me. This is going to be one of the distinctions between these types of foundations. I must tell you, one of the most encouraging things that has happened, especially in the last several months in ministry, have been conversations after services, in between services, as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. I've heard from folks in our community things like I made a decision to to move out from the person I was living with and sleeping with because I heard Jesus speak authoritatively about a sexual ethic. And once I heard him speak and I was found out, I couldn't keep doing that. That was from one week to the next. And I went, oh, praise God. That is digging deep. That's starting to pay attention to what decisions am I making. I've heard some of you that have been reordered in the the nature of your budget and your finances because you were challenged by the way that Jesus called you to radical generosity and storing up treasure in heaven. You see what Jesus is saying is that you have heard things from me. He's he's coming to the end of his sermon where he addressed those topics and lots of others and he said, "You've heard a lot from me." And the question is, will you dig deep and consider the sort of life you're constructing? And will you consider the implications of what I have said and of my character on every one of those areas? Or are you going to brush right past? He's saying this is going to be on the test and then he paints the picture of the second foundation and it is the foolish sandy foundation look at verse 26 and 27 he says everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them now pay attention jesus is eliminating variables he's he's isolating variables to make sure that we see what actually makes the difference both categories of people both the wise and the foolish they both heard They've both heard all the same teaching. They're hearing Jesus speak authoritatively about their life and what it means to be kingdom people. So it's the same group of people, and they both want to construct their lives. They're both trying to build a a house that represents the fullness of their lives. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The only distinction is whether they, they trusted Jesus enough to do the words or not do them. Verse 27, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. You see, the second foundation is he's delineating and helping us see the fork in the road. He says that the the foolish foundation, it's actually the foolish person is building in a way that is hasty and superficial. Now, another delineating factor between wisdom and folly Folly's always in a rush. Folly doesn't have time to slow down and to pay attention. Folly's got to get it done right now. Don't you know I'm trying to construct a life here? I don't want to end up alone. I got to get married and so I don't have time to trust Jesus and do it his way. I'm just going to make it work in this way. I I want to accomplish these things in my career and yes, I know I'm being called to patience and generosity and faithfulness in this way but I'm going to shortcut it here because I've got to build my house hasty and superficial as the way of the Sandy Foundation. And, And the truth is that so many of us are trying to construct our lives in the same way that I build a basketball goal. A couple years ago, my boys wanted a basketball goal. They thought that would be the new sport that they were certainly going to excel in. And so, dad did the thing you needed to do. I went to academy, and I bought a basketball goal. And it said on the box, some assembly required. That's a lie. Um, I think it should have read general contractors only. Um I bought this box and brought it home and laid it out in my driveway and there was approximately 837 pieces. And there was a 70-page manual on how to put this thing together. And I was just sitting there like, oh man, this is not gonna go well. I'm looking at everything. And so my, my very thoughtful, wise decision was, I just need to get a win under my belt. I just need to get things going. And so I flip open and the first thing, there's a diagram with all of this text about how to fit the first pole together, which, which helps form the actual basketball goal. There's two pieces, and you slide one into the other. And so I look at the picture, and I see all this text. I was like, oh, I get it. Here's two poles, one smaller than the other. You must put them together. And I was like, I need to get this going so I feel better about things. So I just get it, fit the thing in, thunk. And I look, and there's a, there's a sticker on the lower pole on this side, and then I look around, and there's a sticker on the upper pole on this side. And they say align arrows and then I look back in the manual and it says attention when doing this first step if you don't line the poles up properly once the poles are together and fitted they cannot be removed and everything hangs on this first step you cannot build a basketball goal like this so I start pulling and And sure enough once they're in they're not coming out and because one fits in the base and the other holds the goal, if they're not in the proper direction, this thing will never be a basketball goal. So I'm on step one of 837, and I'm like, "Well, it's over. Sorry, guys." So I went back into academy with my pole, and I went up to the customer service and I laid my pole down. And you can tell the person I was not the first, and they looked at me and like, "What's the problem?" And. Uh, like a poll, I can't get it out. I don't know. Something's wrong with the poll. I need a new one. And they're like, did you read the instructions? And I was like, ah, I just need a new one, you know? They very graciously gave me a whole new basketball goal. And as I was leaving, I was like, sir, please read the instructions before, you- got it, got it. You see, the, the struggle was this. I was convinced I don't have the time and I know better. And so many of us are constructing our lives like that. Like making major life decisions, day in and day out, some of which we've convinced ourselves aren't major, but they're shaping the sort of men and women that we're gonna become. We're going, well, I just need to to get this going. I need to get a win under my belt. I gotta get this figured out, and so thunk. And then all of a sudden, there we are going, oh no. (laughs) In my haste, in my superficiality, in my unwillingness to dig deep and to find bedrock, We are a people that are consistently making decisions that find us out. As G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. You follow me? That Jesus speaks in this way that is clear and pointed And he's expressing for us, what does the kingdom life look like? And we've called this series, I See Things Upside Down, because it's inverted from everything that the world would convince us is right and good about power and relationship and sex and marriage and our money and all of these things that he has been speaking with unabashed boldness. He speaks about them. He's going, this is the way it works. If you could see wisely what's going to hold a decade or a millennia from now, you would move slowly and you would dig deep and you would lay a strong foundation, but in your haste and your superficiality and in your folly, you think, I don't have time for that. And by the way, I think I know better. And here Jesus stands at the end of his sermon saying there's two foundations and only two. And the test is coming. It's going to reveal what you have cherished At the deepest level. You see the test is coming and we're going to have to wrestle with have we secured a strong foundation on the rock or we have been have we been hasty and superficial just saying I just want to build the life and I want to build it as quickly and as beautifully and as custom for me as possible and as a result we're rushing right past the warning signs well, we have to secure this foundation because the test is coming, and he speaks about it. We, we just read it in verse 25 and 27, but I want to make sure, I want to read just these verses again. Read them with me, the risk of being redundant, so that we can make sure we see the nature of this test. Verse 25 says this, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house. Verse 27 says, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. What do we notice? Corbett, this can be interactive. Tell me. As an attorney used on that house instead of against that house. That's fair enough. So we've got one distinction that there is against versus on. It's beating against versus on, and that's an important note, sure. What else do we notice, non attorneys in the room? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, say that again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Corbett's point is, is, is fair that here they are, they're showing up and they're presenting in slightly different ways, but it's the exact same storm. It's the exact same thing. This is a standardized test. It's a given. It's expected. There's no sidestepping it. If you have a Christian foundation, it does not mean that your house is going to magically start to glow and turn into a mansion and there's never going to be rains on it. That's not the distinction from having built deep and resting on the foundation of Jesus. The distinction is that when the storm is over, your house will still be standing. And that's the only distinction. In all other ways, they're the same. Because the test reveals what's under the surface, the test reveals what was the study habits. The storm reveals the foundation. And trials in your life are going to reveal what you have cherished most. What you have built your life on. And here the invitation of Jesus is very clear. He's, in a sense what he's saying is all Christian discipleship is basically preparation for heartache. Because it's coming. It's coming to everyone. You don't get to opt out of it. The test is coming. But the question is, have you wisely and patiently dug deep and laid a foundation that will stand strong on that day? When the call comes, when everything feels like it's coming undone and it's going to blow apart, when when the unseen is finally visible, what will be the nature of the house that you've constructed? COVID in many ways was a standardized test, was it not? I mean, for the whole globe, all in a moment, stripped of all of the simple pleasures of life and pressed into our homes or our apartments with roommates and family and the whole world shuts down. It really was like a a standardized test that the whole world was taking at the same time and nobody knew was coming. And quite frankly, what it has shown me is that, you know, I've had more conversations with folks from this community that have said things like, almost feeling bad about it, you know, like I know this has been a really hard time for so many people and I don't want to, I don't want to undercut or undersell the heartache and the loss and the loss of life. But I must say that like for me and my family, this has been like such a sweet gift because we've realized how much we love each other and how much joy there is in our home. And I've realized in some of those conversations that I'm I'm interacting with people that were sowing into the health of their foundation. They had been digging deep and preparing. And when every, all of a sudden everything was shaken, they were going, yes, it's hard, and yes, the storm is real. But, but we're standing, and we're experiencing joy. I've also talked to a lot of other people that when they were pressed into their homes and they had to deal with themselves or their spouse or the realities of life, all of a sudden, COVID didn't create anything, but it revealed a lot of things. And where there were cracks, all of a sudden, they were canyons. And where there was a little bit of a division, all of a sudden, it felt like World War III, because there was a testing that was calling to account, what have I been cherishing and building my life on? Because if you pull away all of the delicacies and the intricacies and all of the fun and the ease and, the, and all I'm left with is me, what am I clinging to? In many ways, we were subjected to a great testing. And it reveals what's in the foundation. And I just want to say this, if that finds you out in one way or another, that's not said to create Shame. The invitation right now is to take inventory and say, oh God, what would it look like to start laying a more trustworthy foundation where mine is so easily shaken? I know some people, like trials for the disciple that is cherishing Jesus first and most beautify them. Trials all of a sudden call out the character of Christ and the one that has been clinging to him and cherishing him above all. But trials for those that have either been playing religious games or have been unprepared and they've been cherishing other things, trials can make you very bitter. I have talked with some people that have been spending the rest of their life years and years responding to that moment where things didn't pan out the way they thought. The disappointment, the heartache, the mistreatment, and they've spent all of life churning and they're grumbling and their frustration that this is not the way it was supposed to be. And Jesus is in the midst going, the storm is coming. The only question is what's in the foundation because it will surely be revealed. Do you feel the warning? As Jesus comes to the end, he loves these people so dearly that he's willing to tell them the truth and he's saying, this is gonna be on the test and the test is going to shake you to your core and I... I don't know what it is for you. What I know is that it's coming and it won't just be singular. Part of the journey is that it's going to keep coming. And Jesus each time is giving us a a point of inventory to take account and say, okay, what would it look like to clear out the rubble and lay a trustworthy foundation? And as he comes to this conclusion of the sermon, all of his listeners realize that they have been authoritatively warned. Did you hear it in verse 28 and 29? It says, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Jesus comes to the conclusion of this sermon that we get in kind of Cliff Notes version, but very likely took hours When Jesus speaks, we know that he's out on the hillside and oftentimes he'll speak late into the night. We know when he fed the 5,000, he spoke until the sun was going down and everyone was hungry because he had been holding court for quite some time. Just because we get it in very tight little nuggets doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't expanding and interacting and teaching as he went. And so very likely it's, it's been, let's call it two hours ago, that he started it when he stood up and there was a hushed silence on the crowd when they were all with anticipation wondering what is he going to say as he addresses his disciples and lets all of us listen in. And he started by saying, blessed, blessed are you, blessed are those who Who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. He's speaking these blessings over and over and over at the beginning. And already, right from the start, people must have been scratching their chins and going, oh wow, he thinks he has the authority to speak blessing over our lives in this moment in the most unexpected of ways. And then he tells them that I'm going to rightly unearth and fulfill the law for you. I'm gonna speak with greater authority than Moses. And he begins to speak to them about all areas of their lives and explaining the proper reading on the scriptures and the proper reading of their own stories. And he speaks with authority. And then he comes finally to the conclusion of this sermon after speaking to all of these different areas. And it's this rapid flurry of I, me, and my personal pronouns. Someday you're gonna meet a king on the throne and it's gonna be my word in that moment that matters. You're gonna call out to me because I'm going to be the judge on the throne. Even in this passage right here, did you hear it? He says, the wise man is the one who digs down and builds on my words. This would have been stunning. What Jesus is doing is he's standing. I mean, let's just admit for a second, this is crazy. He was trained as a carpenter. He's never left a 50 mile radius. He has no proper training other than how to build a table. And he stands and he's speaking over this crowd in such a way, going, It's all about me. Do you understand? I've come to reveal to you what life is about. And then, in this unbelievable conclusion, as he stands in the center of these people's lives and says, It's me and it's my and it's my words and you have to respond to me. And then at the conclusion, did you hear it? how he finished his sermon. <laughs> Did you hear it? He says, and those who don't build on my words, great will be the fall of their house. And in the, in the Greek, the last word is actually great. So he says, and the, the fall of their house will be very great. He drops the mic. In that moment, no doubt you could have heard a pin drop as everybody's going, what? Standing, proclaiming, it's all about me. And it's interesting. He's got this interesting dynamic relationship with that word great in the book of Matthew because everyone is wondering who's the greatest. Am I the greatest, Jesus? I want to be great. Megale. It's the same word in all these different instances. And when Jesus comes to the final of his sermon, he says this. If it's not all about me, if you're constructing a life that's about you and your career and your relationships and you're moving too quick to care about what I have to say about it, listen. One day, a test is going to come and the only thing great about your life is going to be the destruction of it. And he's done. He's done. Yeah, they were astonished. They said, we've never heard this before. They said, he doesn't speak like a scribe. What they mean is, he's not quoting anyone else. The scribe studied all of the rabbis, and they said, well, Gamaliel says it like this, and Rabbi, this talks like this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't quote anybody else, because he goes, it's all mine. My words, it's all me. Their chins are hanging open, going, what are we going to do with this? how in the world is it that this son of a carpenter homeless rabbi can speak with this sort of authority? Because it is crazy. Unless, of course, he is who he says he is. And the truth is, he's the only one who ever passed the test. Because the great test that every one of us, whichever one's, some of you because of your positioning and your birth and your education, you're going to sidestep a lot of the trials that others are not going to sidestep, but nobody sidesteps death. It's coming. At some point, you're going to feel the end in your bones. Your breathing will become short and you will realize I am not self-sufficient and I am coming undone. The test is coming and there is only one and the whole history of humanity That though he was laid in the dust of death as he was crucified for your sin and mine, Jesus was laid in in a tomb and he lay dead for three days, but then he kicked the doors in saying, I have passed the test. I have authority that stretches beyond the grave. And for that reason, what he can say is this My foundation is eternally thick. You're never going to get past it. If you're trying to figure out how do I build with stuff that lasts, trust only the voice that speaks with authority even over the grave. You see, Jesus is saying that the test is coming and your foundation will be revealed. And so with compassion and boldness and fierceness, he's saying please take inventory and secure your foundation." The invitation is really easy. It's it's plain. To my Christian brothers and sisters in the room, I rejoice that you've come to see Jesus for who he is, the resurrected Lord that walks with you and loves you. He will be your truest friend and he will tend to you. Praise God. Listen to him. Like listen to him, not as a religious exercise, but as, as a sense of I should not be trusted in making these decisions about my life. I need the one who has authority over life and death to speak, and he is. Listen to him. And with reckless abandon, dig up all of the false delights and lay a secure foundation daily. Do it in the context of your house church. Do it with honesty and vulnerability with the brothers and sisters around you. Continue to listen to him. And to my non-Christian friends in the room, I'm so happy you're here. Welcome. You're invited. You're invited to be sure about what's going to happen when the test comes because it's coming. Jesus is not cruel He's kind, and that's why he tells you that the destruction is going to be great if you don't trust him. Dig deep and lay your trust on Jesus.